You are listening to The Worlding Podcast, where we explore the relationship of how we are both, shaping and being shaped by our surroundings. The podcast traces interconnections by inviting each episode's guest to pass on the mic to someone who has influenced their world. And now, here's your host, dance artist Renee Schadler. Welcome to the Welding Podcast, where today we complete our third series, which began with Berlin-based sound artist Samuel Hertz and traveled to Vienna to meet visual artist and freshwater ecologist Christina Gruber. And now Christina has connected us to my guest today, Julia Grillmeyer. Julia works as a cultural studies scholar, journalist and science communicator. Like Christina, Julia spends most of her time in the muddy Danubian wetlands in Austria and will chat to us today about muddy alliances and how the more than human are entangled in nature cultures. Thanks so much for being part of the podcast, Julia. Well, thank you. It's a big pleasure. Very happy to be here. I believe you're joining us from a very special location at the moment. Could you share with us your current world and what within your surroundings is drawing your attention? Yes, I am recording from a garden at the outskirts of Vienna. And at the moment there is, I guess, some kind of plane that flies over me and or somebody who is mowing their lawn. So you can maybe hear that, but I hope you will at least as much hear the birds that I'm surrounded by. And yeah, I'm in an area in Vienna that is often referred to as Transdanubia, because unlike other cities in Eastern Europe, in Vienna, the Danube does not cross the city center, but it kind of separates two large districts from the rest of Vienna. And these two districts are then called Transdanubia, so the Danube is very present here. And I'm right now also very close to the Lobauen National Park, which is a forest wetland area. And it is also this wetland is also fed by the waters of various arms of the Danube. And yes, this swampy, muddy place, I guess, informs a lot of my thinking as a person, but also as a cultural studies scholar. So I came here for the recording because I thought it, it would be the best place to talk about mud, even if we talk about sewage sludge. Yeah, I would love to hear more about sewage sludge. It's something that I really remove from my attention, as I think a lot of people do. I live in an apartment with a, a toilet and it flushes. And um, yeah, that's about as close as I get. So I would love to hear what drew your attention to this sewage sludge and the process of how that then becomes mud as we know it in a more idyllic sense of walking in wetlands and squishing our feet in mud. Yeah, exactly. So this is also where I met Christina. And um, together with uh, Eva Seiler, a Vienna-based artist and friend who works at the University of Applied Arts in Vienna, we curated an exhibition for the Kunsthalle Exnergasse in Vienna. And it had the title Klea Schlamm which means sewage sludge. And um, Christina was one of the artists participating in this, and um, she made a very nice artwork there. And what brought us to sewage sludge is um, 
that sewage sludge is really the mud that our wastewater runs through in the wastewater facili facilities in order to be purified. And for Eva, um, as an artist, the wastewater treatment plant was a very inspiring architecture. She created a wonderful exhibition display based on, on these blueprints from these facilities, which are very specific. And for me, as a cultural studies scholar who thinks a lot about speculative fiction and how it informs our thinking about the future, and n not least because speculative fiction very often considers more than human worlds and makes explicit that we always live in more than human worlds, for me this investigation then into sewage sludge proved to be very insightful and very eye-opening and also a bit painful maybe because as as you just said um i like to identify myself with a person who spends a lot of time at the danube and with my feet in the in the mud but at the same time i of course have to accept that the mud i depend on more and more existentially maybe as a person who lives also in a big city is the mud in the wastewater treatment plant, is the sewage sludge. And this is a bit, um, also as you just mentioned, it is a bit less a romantic image and um, a less uh, romantic image of, of mud, which in itself is, is already a material that we do not connect so much with um, something nice and comfortable maybe. But um, as we can learn from like second wave ecofeminism and Donna Haraway maybe specifically, a romantic idea of nature is not always a very helpful figure to think with nature anyways. So maybe to better dive head in first into sewage sludge. And so Eva and I visited five wastewater treatment plants in Austria and we really educated ourselves about how the wastewater is actually cleaned there. And I have to admit that I was a bit shocked first how little I knew about this before. And also when we asked friends and colleagues and uh, other people, we had the impression that actually part of what we were doing finally, and this also sounds a bit unsexy in the, in the framework of an art context, an art exhibition, but what we were doing mostly was actually also science communication. So this, of course, went less into the, to the exhibition, but I did a radio broadcast then and, and, and the community radio. And actually people were constantly amazed by the information we gave them about the wastewater treatment plants and about the water circle. And um, yeah, so we had the impression that people don't know very much. And as you said, it's also, it's also kind of hidden. We don't really want to think about it and and also if I like more to talk about the mud in the Danube because it's it's nicer, it's surrounded by a nice forest, it's absolutely necessary to know about the sewage sludge because uh, finally my um, also my health and my welfare as a person very much depends on the sewage sludge, if you will. Yeah, I think sewage sludge is a very visceral example of welding like how we literally are shaping our surroundings through leaving our droppings. Like we have this excrement that goes somewhere and we are creating earth in a way. I really think about mud as earth and soil where things grow and it kind of really dissolves this 
nature human um, binary, if you will, by us producing mud and then also being shaped by the food that is grown in mud and the nutrients we receive from the earth. Could you talk a little bit about that, this dissolving of this nature human, which I feel like is such a strong thread through your work? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, if you can hear probably maybe right now, um, there's a plane flying over me again. So in the in the Lubau, which is a national park, um, when we go there as city people like from Vienna, we think, well, we go into, it's a trip into nature. But at the same time, in a place like this, I mean, if you're a little bit sensitive to these things, you, you cannot deny that it's very much um, structured uh, by human needs. So it's very domesticated. It's what we call um, ecosystem service provider. So we go there to relax. And then you have the planes uh, because they're the airport, the biggest airport in Austria is very close to here. And um, yeah, so it's it's already a place, I think, where the mud in the Danubian wetlands also tell me a lot about this um, nature, what Donna Haraway calls nature cultures, so that you really, it's just impossible to divide these two fields or spheres. And I think this is also why the mud is for me such an interesting figure as a material, actually, where I really like to stick my feet in, but also as a metaphor. Um, it's this opaque liquid, or is it even liquid? And there are many, many different sediments in it and organism in it. So it's it's never pure. It's it's always um, amalgamation of um, of many things. And of course, you can wait for the sentiments to settle and the water above to clear. But as soon as you interact with the mud, as soon as you as you um, look at it, basically. Um, you steer up the mud and it's no longer see-through. So as a metaphor, I guess the mud can tell us in so far a lot about, about our situatedness and also the, the implication it has when we live in, in the world, let's say, um, very generally. I think also it's great to give listeners a book reference for Donna Haraway because she's kind of been following this podcast as a ghost figure, if you will, influencing a lot of thinkers and artists. So I just want to mention the book Staying with the Trouble, which people can find everywhere. It's quite a um, prolific text, I would say. And I definitely see how it's how it's influenced you and she's thinking alongside so many so many creatives, which is quite amazing that she's also moved outside of the scientific and philosophical realm to creative practice in a very um, yeah, influential way, I would say. Yes, definitely, definitely. And there's also a mention of wastewater treatment in staying with the trouble. I mean, it's in a footnote. <laughs> it's pretty hidden. And there is one part where she talks about how we have to wrestle with the ill-named Anthropocene because it's again an era that is actually should be named after the effort of how to how to change that we only think about our influence on the world and and um, don't include more than human perspectives. So she says it's it's an ill-named um, Anthropocene, 
And um, she then says, I'm not against all trials of strength. After all, I love women's basketball. So you see, it's already very playful. And then she said, I just think trials of strength are the old story, overvalued. They are a bit like never-ending task of cleaning the toilet, necessary but radically insufficient. On the other hand, they are excellent composting toilets. We can outsource some trials of strength to the ever-eager microbes to make more time and space for SF in other models. So I think this is just really a wonderful passage from Staying with the Trouble in a footnote. She says, we can outsource some trials of strength to the microbes who work in the sewage sludge. And so actually we can acknowledge this yeah, let's call it work that they do actually for, for our ecosystems. And we have more time also for SF, which is this uh, very um, multi-layered figure in her book um, in other models. So the model is also something that she talks about um, explicitly in Staying with the Trouble. And she uh, refers to it as from an old Dutch world model um, for muddying waters. So also um, this uh, trouble, uh, a, a trope that troubles visual clarity. And um, yeah, as, as I said before, like this opaqueness and this um, impossible to divide different aspects, like something like uh, this big um, dualism of nature culture, but also but also in more detail. So she, she refers to this as a model. So it's staying with the trouble is always uh, staying with the model as well. So um, obviously, I mean, Donna Haraway in general, I think uh, she, she was very Im important for me and uh, for many, many people who think about these things. But this um, playfulness and this playful reference to the model uh, encouraged us to really think about more about sewage sludge and also how it's connected to the other muddy alliances that we are so fond of. When you're talking now about the bacteria, it makes me think a lot about the wastewater plant itself. Like I can imagine workers there, I can imagine technology, but I also imagine bacteria and things um, working with us and in alliance um, to really treat this sewage. Yeah, that's so interesting. And this is, as I said, something also that people were really constantly uh, surprised by. And I myself was really surprised by many aspects of this research because um, Eva Seiler, the artist that I worked with, um, and I went to visit five wastewater treatment plants in Austria. They're very, very different. We visited the ones in Vienna in Linz which are huge and also um, purify industrial wastewater and then also very small facilities that only serve a few thousand people. But no matter whom we spoke to, they all, like the, the workers there and the people who manage these plants, they all really emphasize that the water is cleaned by the microorganism in the sewage sludge. So what happens in... In, in in the w wastewater treatment plants, how they work in most of Europe is that um, the water runs through the sewage sludge and the sewage sludge itself is also something that is fed by the new wastewater. It's really a natural occurring process that happens actually in every body of water. 
and the sewage plants is only an intensification of this natural occurring process. And so these people, these engineers and science communicators, sometimes they were the managers of these plants, sometimes they were the workers of these plants, they were standing amidst all this high-end technology, and of which they are, of course, very proud of. But at the same time, they really all stressed that this technology serves, first and foremost, the microorganisms. And to this, they are first and foremost there to keep them thriving and hungry so that they eat our shit. So, excuse me, but shit in the sense of literally feces, but also a lot of other stuff that we really shouldn't <laughs> flush down the drain, but we still do. So they manage to eat a lot of our pollutions, but of course also not everything. So when it comes to complicated chemical structures like in some medicines or hormones or also so-called anthropogenic substances, they can't eat all of that. And this is also why um, the sewage plant workers and managers of these, uh, yeah, they, they really highlighted that this is a natural occurring process because they can only do so much. So if you want to clean out these substances, you would need to chemically purge the water or you would need to use ultraviolet emission, etc. And this is expensive and it's very energy consuming and it's, it's not very sustainable. So better not throw all this stuff in the water in the first place. So not to be too pedagogical, but um, in this way, this amazingly lively and animated mud, which is the sewage sludge, uh, I guess really can teach us a lot about like this, um, as you said, uh, this um, interconnectedness and, and being in the world and the implications we have on it. Mm. It also makes me think that mud is also fragile. As you're talking about, you know, what I choose to consume and how that affects what comes out of my body and then how we are collaborating with these different bacterias and living organisms that are breaking down our waste, there is also this um, nature culture involved in that and a caring with these little critters that are breaking down this substance that's coming out of me. I can imagine that also shifts your way of being in the world. For example, I take contraception and I'm sure people take lots of different substances, but I'm thinking, oh gosh, what about the little critters that get this pill? Like it's very real and it's very particular. Yeah. As a material, the mud is also interesting when, when we come back to this context of an art exhibition, for example, or also when I talk about mud, like, I don't know, at conferences, or if you take this figure as a, as a figure to think with, um, it's, it's also, we have commonly learned to find mud disgusting and frightening. And so you have, at the same time, if you talk about mud, like enthusiastically, like we do, like with a lot of love for mud, uh, you have a certain spectacularity, a certain entertaining leverage um, if you embrace the mud, and I won't deny that. But with the sewage sludge, starting from this admittedly a bit sensational topic, like Claire Schlamm as an exhibition title was pretty sensational, I guess. But it really became for me a very valuable lesson of exactly how you just said how my body is connected to the city, to the body, to the bodies of water near the city where I live. And first and foremost, this is this is the Danube in my case. 
And it's really to, to again, call upon Donna Haraway. It's really this kind of responsibility that comes with that. And when I say responsibility, I think it, in a way, Donna Haraway writes it, hyphenated responsibility, because when we talk about responsibility, especially in such ecological topics, which is the sewage slot, absolutely, it really is a kind of an... It's a, it's a very good ecosystem barometer. You can really read a lot out of our like, cultural habitats about how we live, actually. You can, you can read a lot about our lifestyles from the wastewater treatment plant, from the sewage sludge. And you can see this now during the corona pandemic, especially because the sewage sludge is, is actually tested a lot for coronaviruses and the mutation because it gives such a broad overview and indication of um, how the virus is spread throughout the population. So this is really a barometer of many things. And when we talk about responsibility, this often has a pretty problematic and old school ring to it. Like People are often tired of being blamed and being told what to do. And um, maybe responsibility is a good way out of this gridlocked tiredness because it is not it, it is just as hard work to be response able than to be responsible in the more conventional sense but it really suggests that you are shaping your surroundings with your decisions so it it kind of focuses more on the agency that you have and maybe it's also a bit more connected to the present and to the future than to the past, when we talk about responsibility in times of the Anthropocene, we also con we often connect it, I have the feeling, rather to a past and to something that is too late to do something about it. And if I read response able, it um, it has more this focus on on the agency and on, on the this futurity and uh, the possibility to to shape our surroundings by also maybe very small decisions of what we like flush down the toilet. And this again, I mean, with ecofeminism and Donna Haraway and all these people that think with her, like I'm thinking about Maria Puig de la Bella Casa and Alexis Shotwell, it's of course never one answer. So it's it's not to say, well, you, you just... Um, don't uh, flush down all this nasty stuff anymore and then everything will be fine. So it's not an easy way out, but it's just one step that we can actually figure out our, or maybe think about more thoroughly about yeah, our implications on the world and our impact. So, so I think um, the sewage sludge in this, in this case was a very helpful figure for me to think with it. And not, not only a figure, but actually... Yeah, a very real thing. So um, we could see sewage slot at the wastewater treatment plants. And um, it's it's also maybe just as a side note, it's very interesting that it's not it's not smelling bad, the sewage sludge itself. So people were like, oh, wow, you went to five wastewater treatment plants. How disgusting. Did you did you have like uh, nose clips or something like that? And it's it's not at all that. Oh, wow. Okay, somebody's starting to moaning their lawns. Oh, no. <laughs> it's really loud. Um, I, hope you, I hope you can still hear me. But that was my side note that it's... Actually, people have the, have the idea that it's, that it's made of feces. 
and thus very disgusting, but the sewage sludge is really the end product of what the microorganism made of our wastewater. So when it comes, the wastewater comes from the canalization into the wastewater treatment plant, it, it of course smells horribly, but as soon as the microorganisms are done with it, it actually has more a smell of earth and um, it's like very fertile compost and um, it, it doesn't smell all that bad. So th this was also one of the uh, more surprising aspects of these visits, visits to the wastewater treatment plants. Mm. You also mentioned ecofeminism, and that's been coming up a lot in Welding and this series. And I've been really also looking at things through the lens recently of techno-ecofeminism, so also connecting and embracing the technological, because I feel like we often separate this nature outside of the human, the human, and then we have this other kind of anomaly, if I can say that word, or... Um, yeah, unknown entity that is technology. And I think these wastewater plants that you're talking about are such an intermingling of all um, non-human, human, technological, living entities, different materialities. So were you able to see how these were being woven together when you were doing this research? Yeah, we tried to really be aware of of a lot of aspects exactly in this question. So we, for example, um, tried also to look at the working environment of the wastewater treatment plant. So, for example, we encountered in the five wastewater treatment plants one woman who's working there. And um, basically, um, so it's a very male uh, working environment. And it's it's not only because it's hard work and it's it's a lot of engineering and and technicians, so it's um, pretty male dominated fields, anyways. But there are even less women working there on the average. And I guess this is also because it's it it has this um, yeah it's it's it has this reputation for being very disgusting work. <laughs> so um, we we try to to think about this a bit and and asking questions about this like the the human ecosystem and work system there. And then also, um, as I said, about how the, how the bacteria and the microorganisms who are in the sewage slot are considered by the workers and managers of, this, of these plants. And um, they sometimes really call them like the actual workers. So we are just the people who provide the, yeah, the, the environment in which they can thrive. And this is, um, for example, the, um, the most um, energy-consuming thing that happens in a wastewater treatment plant is that they, they have to um, blow a lot of oxygen into the sewage sludge because then the microorganism, they need oxygen to reproduce and to, to, yeah, to live. So um, when they, they are given a lot of oxygen, they get hungry and they want to reproduce and so they eat all the nasty stuff that is in our wastewater. So um, they really, they, the workers and managers of these, of these plants really told us about how they are creating fitting ecosystem for the microorganism and bacteria and they called them the actual workers of the plants. And I mean, this is a nice idea. And uh, speaking of more than human worlds, 
I mean, we as an artist and uh, cultural studies who work a lot with these with these ideas, we of course loved that they <laughs> that they embraced this uh, pretty. Um, yeah, that they they formulated it even more radical than we would have probably, but at the same time, I mean, also if we talk about muddy alliances, we really have to be aware that we are still humans who define these muddy alliances, and um, the bacteria and the microorganism we can call them workers, of course, but I mean, it's still um, us who put them there. So I don't know about a lot. I mean, it's, it's of course, um, a very important agency that they have, but I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't anthropomorph them too much because otherwise you really have to uh, also ask the question if they want to be there and what they actually, if they're workers or if they're more like enslaved by their conditions and kept hungry. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be so interested in the word consent with these bacterias exactly wow it's so it's so complicated i love that it's like you can you can think about going to the toilet in a whole new way now i hope listeners <laughs> as they next as they next sit on the toilet seat can imagine these processes i wonder also julia if you could share with listeners an experience of this research that we could embody some of it i've really been approaching this podcast from a choreographic perspective being um, a dancer and making movement and understanding the world through physicality is there a playful way that you could share with us this process which still to some people might seem quite uh, layered and far away mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and i would connect it to exactly what you just said to have like a whole different experience of going to the toilet because i would recommend listeners now if they can or on the next occasion that presents itself to bite into a tomato preferably a ripe tomato maybe an organic one so because it's it's for the seed <laughs> you eat a tomato and you may enjoy the flesh of the tomato mostly and the taste of the tomato and the juice of the tomato but there are also the the tomato seeds and they are covered by this slimy film by this slimy layer and they normally you you just swallow them whole they they don't bother you it's you enjoy your tomato and you swallow the seeds with it and these seeds are actually very very robust in also in relation to to other seeds in the in the botanic uh, world so you can imagine the seed eventually being flushed on the toilet And it will go on a, it could go on a pretty long travel, depending, of course, on where you live. But when you live somewhere that is uh, connected to the canalization, then it will go into the canalization. And also this is a huge network. So Austria, and as you probably know, it is not a very big country, but the pipes and the pumps that are in the underground of the canalization in Austria, you can wrap them around twice around the earth, sorry, twice the equator. 
So it's pretty um, astonishing. So you can imagine the tomato seed going through all these pipes and pumps. And if you're connected to a wastewater treatment plant that is working in this way, in this biomechanical way, as uh, we have talked about before, then the tomato seed will end up in the sewage sludge. So first of all, in the wastewater that will come to the plant. And what they do actually is they, first of all, slow down the current of the flow of the wastewater. So this is also why these sewage plants need to be so big. They slow down the flow of the liquid that comes in. And the first thing that happens is that the bigger particles in this mud, they settle. And so this is sand and uh, dirt and probably also our tomato seed. Maybe in this first stage or maybe in the second or third stage, a lot of, um, a lot of the clearance of the water is actually done by really letting the mud settle. And then the tomato seed will end up in the sewage sludge, which is very, very phosphorous. So it's a very good and fertile soil. And um, this sewage sludge is also, it's not, it's not particularly toxic or polluted normally. So the wastewater treatment plants, they are of course have their hygienic um, setup and uh, restrictions, but this is not something very toxic. So most of these ponds where the sewage sludge is in are just open and with all the pipes and pumps it can happen that some sewage sludge spills over and lands on the ground on some soil and when this happens almost always there is a tomato seed growing and this i think was <laughs> for me really something amazing so you go to a wastewater treatment plant and you see all these technologies and all these ponds and yeah, all these uh, very specific machines working. And then in between you see tomato plants. And when I asked the people who worked about it, they said, yeah, yeah, well, it comes with the, with the wastewater, the seeds, and we can help it. It just grows everywhere. So even on very surprising places where they're like, oh, wow, okay, another tomato plant. So um, this for me, I mean, it's really a small, silly aspect. And as we talked before, it's a highly complicated and um, long process to clean the wastewater. And you can really see this um, interconnectedness already in the pollutions of the wastewater and everything. But these tomato seeds actually were the surprising element that really made me realize, okay, my body really is connected to the wastewater and to this wastewater treatment plant and to the bodies of water that surround me. So the next time you eat a tomato, you can imagine how maybe this tomato um, really finds a human that is the 
animal that it wishes to be, an animal that eats its seed and then distributes it somewhere where it can grow. So maybe this tomato will, will spread at some wastewater treatment plant. Thank you. That's such a playful journey. And yeah, I do like tomatoes. So <laughs> I'm sure I'm contributing to quite a few plants. And um, yeah, I love this reciprocity also with the tomato and the human body and the process we've dived into so deeply today. Thank you so much for speaking with us, Julia. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed also the outdoor I hope you could hear some birds and bees flying by and that the mon loners and planes weren't too dominant in the in the surroundings. I think that's a great comment also for the Anthropocene. <laughs> I'm thinking about the, the, the human influences and the, the natural influences and yeah, maybe also embracing them all. I hope listeners <laughs> can <laughs> can work on on that welding and intermingling and yeah that brings us to the end of a very insightful third series it's been such a pleasure and a privilege to talk with all these amazing artists and thinkers and I'm really grateful to listeners for continuing to share these worlds and unique perspectives so thank you to everyone for supporting the series and I hope you can join us for the start of series four which will begin next month when we return to Berlin to speak with an experiential artist about their research and creatively imagine what welding can be. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the Worlding Podcast. Gefördert durch die Beauftragte der Bundesregierung für Kultur und Medien im Programm Neustart Kultur. Hilfsprogramm des Tanzen des Dachverband Tanz Deutschland.